0: Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our Daf today, Masach Beita Daf Chavvav, page twenty-six. Well, we're going to start at the last line of the previous Daf with the new Mishnah. So the case here that we're dealing with has to deals with the bechor. So just to give a little bit of background the male firstborn of any cattle, sheep, or goats that, you know, belongs to a Jewish owner basically is made, you know, hegdesh and has to be given to a coin to be sacrificed in the Beit HaMikdash itself. If that behor gets any type of blemish, then it uh, can't actually be sacrificed. You still give it to the priest um, and it can be redeemed um, and uh, basically slaughtered and eaten as sort of non-sacred meat. Um, and so that's the piece here that's, you know, that's important. So the case that we're talking about here and how it relates to Yom Tov is that let's say you have your Behor, right? You have your firstborn, and it falls into a, bo- a bore on uh, on a Yom Tov. And therefore, there's a concern, you know, is it going to like die while it's down there because it fell into this boar? So Rabbi Yehuda says an expert is allowed to go down, and examine the animal. If it has a moon, okay, interestingly, right? Because now it is allowed to basically be slaughtered and eaten. So what are you allowed to do? You can take it out. You can raise it up from the boar and you can shakt it. The Im lab, but let's say it doesn't have a moom, right? Or we'll discuss later, maybe the moon is temporary, right? Like it has a moom that's going to heal. Lo yishchot. It's not going to be allowed to be slaughtered. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, So Rabbi Shimon is basically saying, even if it has some type of blemish, you're not going to be allowed to slaughter it because any Bechor where the blemish was not there while it was still day, meaning an Erev Chag, it's not considered to be among animals that were prepared. Meaning before Chag, if it didn't have a blemish, you didn't set it aside you know, to slaughter it, to eat on Chag, because that wasn't an animal that you were allowed to eat on Yom Tov, right? You, you, the B'chor has to go to the Kohen. So therefore, you can't really do anything with it, even if it develops a moon on Yom Tov, because it wasn't set aside. And therefore, the animal itself is basically, you know, you're, you're not allowed to use it. So the Gemara now basically wants to say, my kamaflige. What is, uh, w- what are they actually disagreeing about, Rabbi Yehud and Rabbi Shimon? Eat Nema. So, if we say they disagree about whether somebody is allowed to examine blemishes on Yom Tov, the Rabbi Yehuda Sabar, Roin Mumin Ben Yom Tov, Rabbi Yehuda holds that you can check for mumim on Yom Tov, the Rabbi Shimon Sabar, and Roin Mumin Ben Yom Tov, and Rabbi Shimon holds you're not allowed to check, the Paluge, Roin mumim de Alma. So, if that's the case, then let them just disagree about examining. Blemishes. Why do we have to set up this whole case about a b'chor that falls into a boar? The Mishnah should just be about whether or not you can examine a blemish on any animal that, you know, uh, on Yom Tov. shenafal So it says, no, it had to teach you this case about the behor that falls into the boar. Because you might say, mishum sar la'arim. So this is going to be a little bit of a not PC answer here we might have thought that because of the suffering of the animal, right, uh, you know, you basically, you know, you are allowed to um, sort of, uh, you know, do what you need to do, the Rabbi Yoshua. And this would follow according to the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua. This is going to come up later, Masachah Beit and Lamid Zion, right, that in a different case where you're basically you know, you don't have to strictly follow the halakha because you can rescue an animal that falls into a boar. So in other words, yes, technically, you shouldn't really be able to take the animal at the bechor out of the boar, that rhymes, obviously, but because of tzahra b'alei chayim, you would be allowed to. And kashmashmalan, that, uh, you know, it comes to teach us uh, otherwise, right? The Rabbi Yud and Rabbi Shaman actually disagree about the case of this firstborn that falls into a, a, a boar. And it's not really really an issue about Sarebalei Chaim, but it's really an issue about the Mumim. i haki, right? Um, and so, so then the Gemara says, if this is so, right, if the Mishnah really needed to discuss this case of the Bechor that falls into this cistern, right, in order to teach us that you can't use something like Sarebalei Chaim in order to take the animal out of the boar, right? Lo-yishchot, um, so then why does it say right? Why does it say he can't slaughter it? It should say he can't raise the animal and slaughter it, right? That's what it should have said. And if you look back at the Mishnah very carefully, right, um, where it says, it says, you cannot slaughter it. But the question is, why doesn't it also say you can't also raise it? If the issue seems to be that it's really about raising it, right? So it says, right, it says it's not necessary, right? The avar asike, because where he, what we're talking about here is, let's say he transgressed this. He already did it. He already raised it up. Then you might have thought, okay, so he raised it up. He didn't know that he couldn't do it, or he did it by accident, or maybe he even did it on purpose. Then he's allowed to go ahead. He can still shock the animal once he gets it out of the boar. This teaches us otherwise. Right, that even if he accidentally or somehow didn't realize that he takes the animal out of the boar, he still is not allowed to shacht it. It's not really predicated on whether or not he gets the animal out. And then the Gemara says again, right? Right. So he says, How could you think that you could slaughter it? Of course he can. Ha it doesn't have a blemish, right? That was the whole point, is that maybe it doesn't how why would you be allowed to shacht it if it didn't have a blemish, right? So this is, we need to teach us in a case, right, where clearly developed a mum after it fell. And so then the Gemara says, then the Gemara says, why would you think that you would be able to slaughter it? Isn't it clear that it's muksa Because on Erev Chag, on Erev Yom Tov, you were not allowed to eat it, right? Because you didn't, sorry, an Erev Chag, you didn't designate it to be eaten, and therefore, if it gets a blemish on chag, right? Who cares? Because it's basically muksa, because it was designated as muksa before chag, because you didn't designate it as something that you wanted to eat. Ella, so rather, what's the Mishnah here talking about? <stutters> so here we're talking about an animal that developed a temporary moom, right? A temporary blemish moom over, right? On erev chag, on erev yom tov kavua, and then it falls and now it has a permanent moon mahu detema? you might say that maybe he was gonna you know his didate ilave that his mind was set on this animal's food already on Erev Chag, because it had this temporary blemish vinishte so now he should be allowed to slaughter it it comes to teach us otherwise. And since it really wasn't fit to be eaten before the festival, because it only had a temporary moon, it's still not considered to be prepared or designated for use on the festival. And it still falls into the category of muksa. So, I, you know, I think this is a little bit of a head spinning piece um, of the Gemara itself. It's interesting to see such a specific case, um, you know, be uh, 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 taught here. You know, Like this is not sort of, um, a case that I think has, it will it actually has no relevance because today we don't do any of this because the B'chor isn't you know given in the same way because we don't bring it to the Beit HaMikdash, we don't have Kohanim to give it to. So it's really a very, very specific case that wasn't even necessarily particularly relevant in the times of the Mishnah when the Mishnah was written and the Gemara itself. Um, so it's sort of an interesting case see. And then you know, the, there's a lot more on this stuff, right? Another b'risa, that uh, they, now they quote another brisa, um, you know, where Rabbi Huda Nasi says that you can have an expert go down and the animal can be raised and be slaughtered, and they try to discuss that. And then a whole discussion uh, with Amorim, where Rabbi Bar talks about that a born with a moon can actually be checked on Yom Tov. So I, I just like all the halachic discourse, you know, around a case that it's not clear how practical or applicable it actually was in the time that it's being discussed.
1: So beyond that practicality, I would say, it's really the nexus, if that's the right word, of so many different areas of halacha, right? Meaning from the halachot of Mumin and Kohanim and and B'chor, but also Muksa and Shabbat, but also Chag. I feel like, you know, it's a very specific case because it kind of, it's not a double whammy or a triple whammy it's you know what a quintuple whammy it gets it hits so many topics all at once
0: yeah it, it's it's you know and this before question is uh we'll, we'll we'll see this later in the Gemara this whole issue about the before
1: right so I'm gonna pick up the Gemara um on i bet we've got Hillel asked a question before Rava which kind of spins off of this whole discussion of the mum, and also this question, then it, it becomes one of timing as well. So the question Hillel raises is, um, is, um, is there a problem, such a thing, as having something be muxa for only part of Shabbat? Or you know, is, or is there no such thing as you know, making something muks up for part of Shabbat? Is this thing relevant at all? So the question is, you know, what what are you even asking? Really? What is this what could the case possibly be if you have something at the time of twilight, meaning at you when you're beginning Friday Right in that, in that, that zone point. of benish mashot, if it's fit for eating at that time, or if it's not eating, then you know for whatever the purpose that it is, then it should be fit for the entire Shabbat. Meaning, then that it's not muksa. And if it wasn't acceptable to be used at that time, as you come into the twilight zone right before Shabbat. Then you can't use that the rest of the day either, right? Meaning, if it's muksa, it's muksa, and if it's not muksa, it's not muksa. So, what is the the thought even of there being something such as muksa for a half of a Shabbat? So, of course, what I find, you know, the part of the reason this uh, kind of tugs at me is that this formulation of Chatzi Shabbat we talk nowadays about half Shabbat is not very complimentary. But this idea that there are people who keep most of Shabbat but might also use their phones or text on their phones or whatever in Shabbat where uh, and and don't even think of it as you know breaking Shabbat for example um I, i'm not I, and it's just the terminology that struck me there so in any case the gemara continues it goes on it says Lo no we have to ask this question about the Chazi Shabbat from Moksa. the zeicha vahadar idchi vahadar ichazi my. What happens if you have something that was fit for use, you know, coming into Shabbat, and then over the time of Shabbat itself, it became disqualified for whatever reason? You're not allowed to use it now. And then, what happens if it goes back to being usable again? Right. That's where you end up with a case of something that is muksa for chati Shabbat. It doesn't mean literally half; it means for some portion of Shabbat. Um. So the Gemara says, "My Yesh Muksa." So then Rava says to Hillel, "Like, yeah." Then you would have the prohibition of Muksa. I mean, you would have Muksa issues for some portion of Shabbat that it's disqualified for use. Um, of course, the question is, you know, when? How exactly? When exactly is this going to be relevant? And of course, part of this is um, about the case from before about the animal, right? If you have a, you have the animal that's born now, can you check it out to find out? Whether it had a moom or not, and if you can't check it out, well, you're not handling it anyway. Fine, but what happens if you think that it's fine and then you handle it, and then you discover that it's got a moom? Now you might be already in the zone of these questions that Hill is asking about. So then Hill has an objection. He says as follows: He says he says as soon as you've got an animal that is born with a blemish. This is a position that we know that Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon both agreed to, right? That it's going to be, it's going to be an animal that is set up for chag for use on the chag, meaning you know that this animal has a blemish, you know that it is going to be usable for food, right? Meaning it's it's not going to be a korban. Let's say, for example, you've got the and you know that it's going to be able to be eaten because something about the mother, meaning you already knew that it had this status or whatever the situation with it, that it was going to be disqualified for the or for So what happens, they say, well, let's take that same animal to the and he's going to make it permitted. Meaning, you know, all this is going to happen. So then, you know, it was only muksa for a portion of the day until it got the status of being permitted, permissible, permitted. Um, okay, I think that's it for this. I mean, the gemara goes on, of course, and the subsequent generations carry on. And you know, there's a discussion over whether what Rav and Hillel's discussion—you know—how far does it really go? But I think that the point here is that we're talking about changing that for all that Shabbat and for that matter, Chag, are very formal um, units of time, right? They're very defined units of time. Um, The status of other things can change over the course of the day. And that then means that even though you're still in Shabbat or you're still in Chag, um, how you handle those same rules that you had when you came into the day it, things can shift on you even rapidly, depending on what circumstances you're dealing with. Now, your Dana, as you say, this is also hypothetical because we're not dealing with bchor uh, in this way. We're not dealing with kohanim and mumin of animals and so on in this way. But um, I think that the principles are still, you know, pretty relevant.
0: Yeah, and I think you know this is obviously a boundary pushing uh, discussion here, right? It wants to see basically can status shift over Shabbat or once you go into Shabbat in a particular status or Yom Tov, do you remain in that status throughout? It's a great question.
1: Right. And, and I would add to that the fact that we know that these members of Chazal are not the ones offering karbonot. So And the fact that Hill can come and say, is there such a situation as a Chatzim Boksa, right? Like that to me is
0: maybe quintessentially boundary pushing. Right. And, uh, you know, how they go back and forth. And it even continues on to the next stop. You know, there's a lot of different examples they try to give to show, you know, how could you sort of, you know, have one status on Shabbat, then transform into another status and then sort of go back. Right, exactly. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rev. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.